Alright, I think we're ready for 22, am I right? Guess we divine the liver again last time. Yeah, you like that. I you like that. Divine. The, he should love the, the liver. That the divination oh. of the liver. James, if you have any questions this time, ask after the study. Right. Check twenty-two <laughs> verses one to twelve. <laughs> one to twelve. Uh-huh. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then cause her to know all her abominations." You shall say, Thus says the Lord God, A city shedding blood in her midst, so that her time will come, and that makes idols contrary to her interest for defilement. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed, and defiled by your idols which you have made. Thus you have brought your day near, and have come to your years. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mocking to all the lands. Those who are near, and those who are far from you, will mock you, you of ill repute, full of turmoil. Behold, the rulers of Israel, each according to his power, have been in you for the purpose of shedding blood. They have treated father and mother lightly within you. The alien they have oppressed in your midst. The fatherless and the widow they have wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. Slanderous men have been in you for the purpose of shedding blood, and in you they have eaten at the mountain shrines. In your midst they have committed acts of lewdness. In you they have uncovered their father's nakedness. In you they have humbled her who is unclean in her menstrual impurity. One has committed an abomination with his neighbor's wife, and another has lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law. And another in you has humbled his sister, his father's daughter. In you they have taken bribes to to shed blood. You have taken interest and profits, and you have injured your neighbors for gain by oppression, and you have forgotten me, declares the Lord God. Wow. (laughs) That's quite an indictment, don't you think? Kind of a presentation of the evidence against what? The city. The city. wonder what city this was. (laughs) Jerusalem. What does he call it? The bloody city. Now, why call it the bloody city? They keep shedding blood, apparently. Why in what senses? What all are we thinking about when we talk about the bloody city? Well... I can think of at least two or three things. Well, I mean, there was much bloodshed. I mean, they, they killed each other. There was much murder. Ah, oh, yeah, violent crimes. You know, murder, or assassination, so forth. What else? Various sacrifices, presumably, to uh, to idols and not to God, but also to God. But And those sacrifices included <laughs> their own kids. Yeah. So child sacrifice. And uh, some of the uh, things that they were even doing in manipulating the judicial system. There was, uh, if not judicial murders, at least uh, outrageous injustices perpetrated by the judicial system. So in all of that, they're really a bloody city. Now, that's an interesting expression because it had been used, um, I guess, maybe uh, close to a hundred years earlier in the book of Nahum, and uh, the only other place that at least comes to my mind that that expression is used 
In Nahum 3.1, Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage, her prey never departs, and so forth. But in Nahum 3.1, what was the bloody city? Nineveh. Nineveh. To call Jerusalem by that same phrase that's used for the cruel uh, pagan capital of Nineveh is pretty significant. But then again, Jerusalem had become pagan. And that was before, how years before? Yeah. Uh, Nahum was um, in the mid-600s, and this, this is in the, you know, maybe maybe 75 years later, something like that. Because uh, this is about 5, what, 90 or something, and, and Nahum would have been maybe 650. Uh, we don't know exactly how Nahum, but... So, sometime before that. So I think it is significant that he uses that phrase, bloody city, now having Jerusalem in view. And, uh, you know, he doesn't uh, mince words here. He says, then cause her to know all her abominations. I mean, he uses very strong language to describe Jerusalem's sin. We don't call sin, even sin anymore, much less abomination. Um, I was reading something, I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, Some exactly what this was, some religious leader in England that was asked to comment on, I think it's Prince Charles or somebody that's, you know, multiply uh, married and so forth. And and, uh, his comment was, well, he struggled as many people struggle with brokenness in relationships. (laughs) We have such wonderful ways of, of euphemizing everything. You know, just exactly what is struggling with brokenness in relationships, except getting the responsibility off of the back of some philanderer who's, you know, broken covenants. You know, I mean, we don't ever say sin. But you see somebody like Ezekiel, he lays it on the line. I mean, he just goes down through and he forcefully condemns them. This is, thus says the Lord God, a city shedding blood in her midst so that her time will come, and that makes idols. Now, do you see the connection between those two things? It's two things that, that there's often a connection between. The, the shedding blood and the making of idols. Now, when you think of shedding blood, we're thinking of sins between man and man. When you think of making idols, that's sins between man and God. But so often, there is a close connection between our relationship with God, our faith, and our moral behavior, our relationship with others. Uh, when, when they start worshiping idols, it won't be long before they start shedding blood and doing other things that mistreat their fellow men. And so they're guilty. And that's uh, going to be the bottom line. Comments and questions on these first few verses here in chapter 22, the, the first three or four verses. Um, he says judge... Yes. Is it more in the sense of pronouncing a judgment? I think so. Yeah, declaring the judgment. And, and you know, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, blows of a hammer, just pounding on uh, and, and exposing the sins and the, the abominations, really, of, of Jerusalem. And, and he just goes through and he starts just talking through all these sins. I mean, wow, by the time you get to the end of verse 12, they are terrible. What kind of crimes have they been committing? 
better question would be what kind of crimes have they not been committing? It would be an easier one, wouldn't it? <laughs> they dishonored their parents. Oh, I, that's they treated them lightly as opposed to with the honor due them. Yeah, they have mistreated and disrespected classes in their society that God specifically commanded them to respect. Look at verse 7. Not only their parents, but who else? Alien. The alien, the, the, the foreigner. The yeah, the, the helpless. Now, God had special laws about each of those. Obviously, God commanded honor to the parents. I mean, you can't get away from that in the Old Testament or the New. God is very concerned with respect for parents. They have the, um, I mean, the, the God-given order about society that children respect their parents. And what about the, the stranger? Why? You know, the, the alien, the foreigner. What was the reasoning on, you know, being kind-hearted to a foreigner? They were foreigners in Egypt. Yes, that was a big thing. You know, they had experienced what it was like to be a foreigner and to be oppressed, and they ought to learn from that not to oppress those from other countries. I really think that's something that that we need to learn from and think about in our country. We talk about that from time to time. But I just think, you know, the attitudes toward, you know, people from other countries is really bad sometimes and often among brethren, and we need to be careful about that. And then the fathers, fathers, fatherless and widow, the orphan and widow, you know, they always came in for special care and treatment uh, in, in, in the law, in the prophets, because they needed help. They were vulnerable. They were easy to pick on, easy to exploit, easy to take advantage of, and God and his word stood up for them. And And we ought to be especially uh, concerned for the rights and the welfare of those who are helpless. They disrespected all three of those categories. What other kinds of wrongs were being committed among them? They despised the holy things. Yes, like what? Maybe the temple and the sacrifices. The law. the law. He specifically mentions the Sabbaths. Um, which really... Well, why was it so hard for them to keep the Sabbath? Because they couldn't... Well, I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind <laughs> is with like the merchants who would come on, on the Sabbath and wanted to do business and they weren't allowed to somebody or there was closing gates on them or something but I mean that was one thing that they couldn't do on the Sabbath was conduct business with all of their foreign neighbors and and why would they want to money absolutely it really tests our faith you know because not to be able to work the land um, <coughs> you need you know it may rain tomorrow you know we need to make another buck and it, it shows, I mean, the whole Sabbath system that God instituted in the Old Testament showed that the Lord had dominion over their whole life. I mean, he had the right to claim a day a week. He had the right, the right to claim a year every seven years. 
it's Megan. And uh, so it was just a really powerful thing uh, that, that God demanded this, this time from them. And uh, they didn't care. <laughs> you know, just disrespect for things uh, of God that ought to have been treated sacredly. I mean, we're in Ezekiel 22, looking at the first 12 verses. Um, what else? What were other sins that they committed? Just about every sexual sin you could probably name. Yeah, that's true. You know, really, really sad, the, the degree of, of just total disrespect for marriage covenants and for, for just respecting people. Uh, you know, some, some pretty crude and crass kinds of things. And they're just crazed lusts and passions. Shoot, reminds you of our day and time where, you know, I mean, we have just made practically a society based upon lust and total disrespect for the human dignity of people, particularly women. Um, and that's what they were doing. What else have they done? Taken usury. Yeah, usury meaning, what's another word? What do we say for usury? Yeah, interest, particularly high interest uh, to those who were needy. Do what? Loan sharking. Loan sharking, absolutely. (laughs) I don't think here he was probably talking about like interest on like investment or business loans. But, but, But taking advantage of people who were poor or who were in trouble. And just, you know, using their uh, need as an opportunity to enrich oneself. And, and that was just a, a sort of oppression. Really, that, that's kind of a subset of a lot of what he's saying, say in verse 12. Bribery, you know, injuring your neighbor for gain by oppression. You know, doing all sorts of things to take advantage of those who are unfortunate. <laughs> A lot of greed is how I picture that whole section. Absolutely. A lot of greed and a lot of uh, might makes right. If I got the power, then I'll pervert it and do it. You can see that also in verse 6. You know, they, they took advantage of any anything they could manage a way to do. And, and he sums it up in the end of verse 12. You've forgotten me. That's really the root sin. They didn't care about the Lord. They, they weren't. They weren't interested in him. Um, and so disregarding and disrespecting him, man, it's just a horrible society. Now, there's a repeated phrase, actually it's repeated in two or three different forms, but a repeated phrase over and over and over again in 6 through 12. In you. In you. Do you see it? it? It's in verse 6, it's in you. In 7, it's within you, in your midst, in you. In 9, in you, in you, in your midst. In 10, in you, in you. In 11, in you. In 12, in you. Uh, why would he keep saying that? To make them realize that all these things are truly happening inside of them and that they have a problem. Yes, I think you can go a step beyond that. What's so significant about the in you here? You're following their self-will? Yes. You mean God is supposed to be there? Yeah. 
all that's kind of on the right track. I'm just thinking how outrageous it is for these things to happen in Jerusalem, in God's city, among God's special chosen people. If you had said in Nineveh, in Babylon, you know, in Tyre and Sidon, in the Philistines, but it's in you! It's right there in your midst all these terrible atrocities are occurring. I mean, it would be like saying, you know, all these things happening in the church. Unfortunately, some of them do. But it's, 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 it's really bad. I mean, you know that a fair percentage of these things occur in the world. In fact, probably all of them. But if you started listening to these things and, and said, you know, these things are happening in, 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 in your congregation, that's, wow, that's horrible. And so that's really the, the, almost the announcement of the evidence of the charges against Jerusalem. Comments and questions? Something we need to be well aware of from that we need to not just say, look, you have a problem, but we need to really examine ourselves and make sure that, that problems like these don't exist in us, that we need to take care of Amen. Because the word's a mirror, not a window. So we need to see ourselves in it. Why would Ezekiel be telling the captives the scratchers? Well, I think primarily to get them clear on what's going to happen. The expectation was so much that soon they'd be coming back to Jerusalem and everything would be okay. And this is showing that's not going to happen and it couldn't happen. Look at what's happening in that bloody city. <laughs> you know, they're going to be going back there. God's not going to be honoring that city. That city's going to fall. And, you know, you can imagine the high expectations they had for all the false prophecy. And Ezekiel can say, no, we're not going back. But that sounds kind of hollow. Here he's showing them, why aren't you going back? And it, it seems maybe a little bit stronger. They can see why. They'll just open their eyes and look. How could God allow a city like this to continue? Good question. Other comments and questions? I noticed the phrase, for the purpose of shedding blood, or to shed blood was repeated a couple times as well. Um, it's almost like slanderous men have been in you for the purpose of shedding blood. People would come there to shed blood. I mean, that was their purpose, you know. Stays in Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas um, kind of concept. And let's go there, or, you know, if you want to kill somebody, do it in. Pike County, Indiana, because they won't prosecute you, that kind of thing. So, I don't know if that's accurate, but that was the kind of thing that I was thinking of. That, that's why these people were coming. Other people were coming as well. They were coming to Jerusalem because they could fit in. <laughs> Wait, isn't that horrible? It's just amazing. I mean, it's just hard to see Jerusalem as being you know, an ancient, I don't know, New Orleans or Las Vegas or 
I don't know if we've quite got a city. You know, maybe a downtown Atlanta or something. I don't know what uh, what is our uh, really Sao Paulo, but uh, you guys don't know Sao Paulo too well. So, <laughs> but just you know, all these horrible things just happening. Uh, downtown Gary. Yeah, that's downtown the truth. Detroit. Yeah, the whole city of Gary, but. <laughs> Where is that our student base up there? Uh, that was in nine verse 9. And also six. And then, uh, and also verse 12, in you they have taken bribes to shed blood. Yeah. Same idea, I guess. Okay. Paying hitmen, I guess. Or, okay. or maybe paying off the judges to execute their enemies or whatever. Other comments and questions? All right, uh, 13 to 16. Therefore, I beat my fist at the dishonest prophet which you have made, and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure, or can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries, remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. So again, what is he uh, condemning? Your dishonest prophet and bloodshed. Yes. And it's pretty much what he's been saying from first to last here. You know, they're constant seeking themselves and being willing to do violence to anybody who gets in their way. And uh, what are they going to be able to do when the Lord decides to uh, execute his justice? Not so much. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be able to deal with, with me I, when, I, when I deal with you. Because I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. I will scatter you. I'll disperse you. So rather than the exiles coming back home, the Jerusalemites are going to be scattered as well. They're going to join them. But you can see why. You know, there's no, there's, there's really no way to argue against this. So that's more or less the announcement of the sentence. Comments and questions? We have another, and you will know that I am the Lord. <laughs> I underlined <I'm> it. <laughs> I think I've seen that somewhere before. I'm trying to remember how many times I have read that that's in here. Less than a hundred, but the more I've studied Ezekiel, it can't be less than a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. Is there any other book that uses it quite as much? No, I don't think so. I don't remember any. It's just kind of a characteristic phrase. You can really see, you know, that in these books. I mean, the other one that's so big in Ezekiel is Son of Man. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a big one. But do you think he seems a little bit repetitive? Yeah. Well, not just with that, but just with, like, the claiming judgment on Jerusalem. Yeah. Like, he gives it over and over and over again. Yeah. Emphasizing it. And why would he need to emphasize it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 their heads are like flipped. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that in various books and passages. I mean, you know, the Lord is not above repeating himself over and over again when they're not listening. You know, beat him over the head with it. And it is the relevant message. I mean, what else is there to say? Mm-hmm. We are, though, going to come to an end of this whole section in just a couple more chapters, and we're going to switch gears. So You don't have to listen to too much more of the same thing. <laughs> chapter 25, we move to prophecies against the nations, and then in chapter 33, Jerusalem will fall, and he turns to comforting people. I remember. We studied at your house when we were there. Oh, wow. Cool. You just studied the Bible too much. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else through 16? (coughs) 17 to 22. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because all of you have become dross, therefore, behold, I am going to gather you in the midst of Jerusalem as they gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the furnace to blow fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will lay you there and melt you. I will gather you and blow you on you with the fire of my wrath, and you will be melted in the midst of it, as silver is melted in the furnace. So you'll be melted in the midst of it. And you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. Okay. So, what is he describing Israel as? What he's going to burn up? Yeah. Random metals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what, the, what he calls the dross of the metal. I don't use that word a great deal, but the idea is... When you are purifying a metal, like silver or gold or whatever, there's some trace elements of other metals that are smelted out. You run it through the furnace and somehow or other you're able to capture just the pure metal. And the other is kind of like the, the garbage metal that you take away and throw out. And uh, theoretically, that's going to be a fairly small percentage as you just purify that metal. But in this case, it was all dross. There was no good metal in it. You know, as he purifies it, it all is actually scrap metal. Uh, There's there's nothing worthwhile in the whole thing. So what was the Lord going to do? Melted. Yeah, and what what other verb does he keep using here? Gather. Gather, which is so interesting because what verb did he use in 15? Scatter. Scatter. (laughs) Well, now he's going to gather. That sounds nice, but it's not a good thing. He's gathering them to to heat them in the furnace and melt them. And uh, God is going to be the smelter. And they're going to feel the liquefying heat of his wrath. Um, 
You know, sometimes there are some sort of minor flaws, and God can, you know, do some chastening, and he can kind of purify and correct and do some behavioral modification, and everything's cool. But in this case, this is too deep. It's too corrupt. Minor modifications are insufficient. He just got to start over again. Now melt that whole thing down, and uh, you know have to start from ground zero. So that's how bad God sees them. They're all dross. He's going to put them through the furnace and melt them all down. It's a pleasant picture if you were one of the ones going through this. And So is this like the defeat of the Jeru- of Jerusalem? No, the dross is thrown away and scattered throughout the nation. I think so. Good job. And you actually understood a paragraph in there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. Other comments and questions? It's interesting. We would see all this metal, all these different types of metal is good. I mean, all of these metals have a purpose, um, but the scrap metal does not. And God says, says, since I don't have a purpose for you anymore, since you're not good for anything, I'm going to throw you away. You need to really realize that. Are we good metal or bad metal? That's right. That would be good for nothing. It's because of all their abomination, all their wickedness, that they're useless. Other comments, questions? All right, 23 to 31. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion, tearing to prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing their prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on the behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on my own head, says the Lord God. It's a bad picture in 24. It's a land not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There's a lot of debate about what he means by it's a land not rained on. <coughs> Maybe it's just the idea they're not purified. They've not been cleansed. Um, and he begins to detail this. But the details are a bit complicated, too. In 25, there is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst. Anybody got anything different than prophets? What verse? Verse 25. I don't know if the NIV makes an emendation there or not. 
Princes? It has princes. Scribes. Wait, like in the first sentence? 25, yeah. There's a conspiracy here for princes. Okay, no. do they have a marginal note? Oh, my bad. Yeah, they do. And they say prophets in the marginal note. What does it say with the prophets in the marginal note? Uh, Septuagint, Hebrew, prophets. Okay, here's the deal on this one. This is, somebody asked this. Was it in this study oh, a week or two ago, or was it mm-hmm. in some other study? I don't know, about the Septuagint. All right. Here's, here's an interesting case. In the Hebrew manuscripts, it's prophets. And so the numerical standard, being a bit more conservative, goes with the Hebrew. The Septuagint, theoretically, presumably based on perhaps some earlier Hebrew text, has princes instead of prophets. So do you go with the Hebrew that we have now, which is prophets, or do you go with the Septuagint thinking maybe it's a reflection of an earlier reading and say princes? Well, look at verse 25 carefully. Does that sound more like the prophets or more like the princes? Well, it seems more like princes because of the roaring lion that we've already seen already. Yes, and because of? They take the treasure and stuff? Yeah. That doesn't sound like a very prophetic kind of a thing to do. More like governmental <laughs> leaders. I think here it's probably better to translate it princes. I think this is a case where the Septuagint probably preserved the accurate reading. And I, I would go along with princes here. Uh, but it's a debatable issue. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do that very often. I think probably, you know... We need to be careful not to go away from the Hebrew we've got. I think this is probably a case where they, they translate. How would it say prophets? Because? Because you had all those false prophets. Yeah. Trying to tell them things that I don't see them as honorable people, so I would see them taking their treasure as well. Do we cover prophets in this section? Yeah, in 28. We okay. also have another princess. Yes, <laughs> we do. Twenty-seven. More wolfy, Terry thing. And, and twenty-seven sounds more like twenty-five than twenty-eight sounds like twenty-five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is right. There a debate about twenty-seven. No. <coughs> the rest of them are undebated. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Twenty-five sounds a lot like twenty-seven. Yes, it does. So again, I think princess is probably better. You can take it however you want, but. Um, but, but think about 25 and 27 too for that matter and, and just think about the responsibility of leadership how were these whether you call them prophets or princes how were they conducting their leadership they were devouring things instead of building things up instead of protecting things why what was their motive Apparently it was treasure and precious things. Greed and get stuff for themselves. That's it. Leadership ought to be seen as a responsibility, not as a privilege. But a lot of time leaders view it as, oh, now I can do this for me and that for me. They exploit their position for personal enrichment. And that's what was happening here. Power almost tempts people. You can get a really nice guy and you give him some power <laughs> and they'll go to their head and they'll abuse the power. That's not universal, obviously, but it happens a lot of times. You think of someone like Saul in the Old Testament. Okay, who else thought of, of David from yesterday? 
David became comfortable as king and took took more wives and then stopped going out to war like kings do in the spring and then he saw this woman taking a bath and just went downhill from there. <laughs> so that's not what you talked about today. Well, we talked about that, but she talked about what boy talked about. I know, so, yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. But that, <laughs> that with James Yeah. But that's exactly right. You know, you get in the habit of kind of getting anything you want. You get in the habit of indulging your lusts. And then pretty soon you think it's all what you deserve. You know? So, yeah. What about her priests in 26? What was their problem? They proclaimed the holy things. Yeah. Which is totally the opposite of what priests were supposed to do. They were supposed to lead the people to make the distinction between the holy and the profane. They were supposed to help the people be pure and be respectful of the Lord's things. And they weren't. And then the princes, again in 27, like we said in 25. You know, like wolves tearing the prey for themselves. And the prophets in 28, what were they doing? Pretending to be Tom Sawyer, apparently. <laughs> no. False visions. <laughs> Some of you guys obviously haven't read much of Mark Twain. You gotta make the rest of the connection out here. I thought of Ezekiel. Isn't there something about. Is, we're in Ezekiel. I know. Isn't there something else in Ezekiel about? That's there was, right. there was more whitewash. Very good. What chapter? I have no idea. I was hoping you were telling me. 13, apparently. 13. That's right. <laughs> we have white exception. for example. And it's talking about the false prophets who were whitewashing everything and making making things look like everything was good, when really they're committing abominations and God's about to destroy them. To whitewash the wall to where you don't see the cracks. So that's exactly what false prophets do. And they claim to be speaking for God when God never spoke those things. And then you got the people of the land in verse 29. What were they doing? Same impression, and apparently getting pretty good at it. Yeah, like leaders, like people. You know, not any big surprise if the people do this when their leaders are doing likewise. And what did uh, Ezekiel or the Lord perhaps look for? Someone who would build up the wall and stand in the gap. Yeah, somebody who would do what's right. Somebody that would lead Judah to repentance and righteousness. Nobody was found. You know, there wasn't anybody that was willing to stand up and do what was right. And so God's going to pour out his wrath on them. You know, what would you do with a nation where the, the leaders are like this, the people are like this, and there's not a single person to stand in the gap and, and stand up for what's right and do what's right? Isn't that exactly what Jeremiah was doing at this point in time? Yeah. There wasn't there a man? Well, he doesn't mean this literally. <laughs> Reminds me of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, just the idea of, you know, saying smooth, pleasant things, presumably in the name of God, to make it look like the nation was doing well morally and God was blessing them, even though it was just about to fall, it was just about to collapse and implode. But you whitewash, you make it look good. It's like preachers who say, smooth everything over, and they say, oh yeah, it's fine. You know, uh, as we uh, were saying, um, you know, he struggles with brokenness in relationships. (laughs) 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 You know, I mean, it's making everybody happy. Making everybody, you know, don't, don't you love the way we do that? Even we, you know, who among us, struggle is a great word. You know, it's a euphemism for falling in a lot of cases, or sinning. You know, but we don't ever sin anymore. We struggle. You know, we face challenges. You know, and we've kind of perverted those words into euphemism. Not always. Somebody might mean they struggled, but a lot of times when they say they struggle, they meant they sinned. They just didn't want to say that. You know, I mean, we do that with like, uh, you know, what, when somebody has an affair, they're, they're avoiding pretending anymore. They're avoiding pretending anymore. They're, they're, or someone says they're being honest with their emotions. You know, we, we pervert perfectly good words to describe, you know, adultery in pretty terms. Haven't you heard those things? I haven't heard that one. Do you know what this push to talk thing is? Just to get off of this and like, anytime it's in my thing, and I pop it involuntarily, it presses. <laughs> Are you calling people? I don't know. <laughs> so you're supposed to be sad? I'm sad. Well, one of the things I thought of was like priests today when people go to confessions. And then they're just like, oh, just be nice to your brother and you'll be fine. Making people feel good. Say ten Hail Marys and they'll all be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yes, we were talking about confession to, confessions today in Spanish because we're reading a Catholic book, I guess. And um, one person said that when she went to confessions, all she had to do was like be nice to her brother and read the Bible or something. Well, that'd be nice. <laughs> well, Especially for me. <laughs> 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 We've been playing the They always talk about the unity that the, that the congregation shares, and you know, this unity is wonderful and all this, and that's a lot of whitewash. Yeah. It's all trying to set the mood, deal with the image, Make it look good. That's the whitewash idea, exactly. You know, we're much more concerned with the appearance than the reality. You know, we may be full of all sorts of horrible sins, but make it look good. The whitewash tombs of the Pharisees. Sure. Yeah. But inward you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You know, we do that with our own lives. How many times do we think, as long as nobody finds out, as long as we look good, as long as people respect us, never mind we're not doing anything respectable, 
but they, they think I'm doing okay. We, we think a whole lot more about what we look like than who we are. And that's all right. Sometimes it's almost a good thing if the inside of us would actually come with what our fun is. What would you like, what would you think if um, you had a you know, screen on your forehead where everybody could read everything you were thinking? Ooh. <laughs> Probably spend all of our life uh, hiding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm trying to remember the the novel or the fairy tale which talks about someone who their outer appearance began to reflect their inner self. There I think there were a couple of them, that's why I don't remember. Kafka's Metamorphosis and the picture of Dorian Gray or something, what as well as some out? fairy tale about. <laughs> what was the first one? Kafka's Metamorphosis. Oh. <laughs> a guy turns into a bug. <laughs> a guy turns into a bug. Yeah. Is he a bug on the inside? Huh? Is he a bug on the inside? Oh. And he begins to turn into a bug on the outside. Yeah. Well, I know some people that if that can happen, they really <laughs> <laughs> I think I know one of the people you may be thinking of. And, yeah, and uh, there are fairy tales about that that type of thing too. Well, yeah, it's kind of the Pinocchio effect. You know, what if our nose really did grow every time we told a lie? <laughs> That's a story I know. But not from the movie. I think I've seen the movie once. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, really, I mean, the whole whitewash idea is just, you know, we completely ignore what's really important in favor of, you know, making a good impression and making everybody feel good. Well, other comments and questions on chapter 22? Isn't there another place that talks about staying in the gap? Or like that kind of imagery? Yes. Staying in the gap? Or, I don't know if this could be wrong, but like when the shepherd and the shepherd or the door for the sheep or something like that, that was in, that was like Jesus, but like it seems like I've heard that before. Psalm 23. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Yeah, that's a good passage. Ezekiel 13 again. Uh, you, verse 5, you have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall. That's what I was thinking of. But yeah, that's a good answer in some ways. I mean, that's kind of what people do in my time in literal form. I mean, they went out and stood in the gap as they were. So, the end was kind of coming. What did you say, Jesus? That the people in the, with the Amaya did that in literal form. They were building the wall. Oh, that's They went out to fill up the gap as they were. Okay. The end was kind So, this would be kind of. Somebody is trying to put himself between the people and the judgment? Or? Yeah. Okay. Like Moses did and say, okay, stop, God, don't do this. 
and calling the people back to righteousness so that they will be punished. Uh-huh. Good comments, other thoughts? Well, we might as well do a little bit of 23. Everybody okay with that? Okay. Thursday night? What time? Depends. Probably around 8-ish. Okay. I have been until 8.30. Yeah, he'll be at least 30 minutes late. Yeah. Of course you know how that turned out last year, last week. I was doing math in my head out loud. Yeah. It sounded like you said 6.57. You did. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I said 6.57. They play at 6 and 6.57. I probably won't be back up here until like the same week. I'll be late to that. They've got a meeting in the last week. Oh, that's Could be your birthday. What? Could be your birthday. sort of like 16. That's what we were discussing earlier. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we discussed David and Bathsheba today. It's more of uh, a very uh, uh, graphic imagery. One through four. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breaths were there, em- were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ohola, the elder, and Oholiba, her, her sister. They were mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem is Oholiba. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I didn't read through this first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to have them. Uh, your mom was a hit time. <laughs> All right, so you got these two women. They're actually sisters, and uh, they were immoral. They were prostitutes down in Egypt and were, um, you know, really quite deviant and engaged in disgusting behavior. And he tells us who they were. Now, the point of these two names is for the maybe for the meaning of the names, although there's some debate about this. Ahola means her tent. 
And I don't know how to pronounce the other one either. I say Aholaba. Aholaba is my tent. My tent is in her. So Ahola is her tent, and Aholaba is my tent is in her. Now, just a second, I want to take Okay, Ahola is. But you said there was some um, confusion over whether or not those are trans- that was the meaning? No, that is the meaning. There's confusion about what the meaning represents. Ahola is my tent. My tent. Oh, Ahola is No, Ahola is her tent. Her Ahola tent. is her tent. No, well, it's my tent. My tent is Ahola my tent is in her. Ahola is my tent is in her. Oh, oh, she must have been really big. <laughs> 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 or it could have been a small tent. <laughs> <laughs> Samaria was a foreign Samaria represents where? Israel, because Samaria was the capital. Later. Yeah, I mean the Samar- the origins of the Samaritans probably are already here, but we wouldn't call them Samaritans. So you said this is Israel? Yeah, Samaria is Israel. Is Jerusalem Judah? Jerusalem's Judah. Jerusalem Aholabah, if my tent is in her. Now. And what's Ahola? Her tent. Yeah. Israel. Yeah. Samaria. Samaria. Israel. Ahola, her tent, Israel, Samaria. Yeah. Ahola, Israel, her tent. Aholabah, Judah, my tent is in her. Okay, yeah, I heard Samaria in that totally confusing. Samaria is the capital of Israel. Uh, and Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, we got that all figured out. Now, what do those two things mean? Why call Israel her tent, and why call Judah my tent is in her? Because it is. Um, How do you mean? Uh, God's tent is in Judah, in the temple, and her tent, I guess whatever that is, She built Israel. her own tent, her yes. own temple, her own... Golden calves at Dan and various places. Very good. Very good. Yeah, you all are as slow as I thought. I am. Samaria had set up her own tent. You know, her own center of worship that wasn't sanctioned by the Lord, whereas with Judah, God's own tent, his own dwelling place was in her. I think that's the most likely explanation. Some people have suggested that really doesn't mean much, and it's just like, you know, saying Tweedledum and Tweedledee, or something that way. <laughs> that, you know, they're, they're, two, they're two bees in a pot. But I really think that there's probably some significance, and the fact that you all came up with that may be an indication of that. So Judah, he's trying to say, was still following no, they weren't. We're going to see that. That's what I'm thinking. But they had God's sanctuary in their midst. In a sense, maybe they had even more responsibility. They had more opportunity to have a close relationship with God because God had his very tent in them. But it didn't change him. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's in the tent. It just means that his tent's there. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure it would be his tent if he wasn't there. But they've had God's presence. He placed his tent there. Mm-hmm. He departed back in some other chapter. He's not in his tent anymore. Yeah, we have seen him late. Yeah, that's but he's still talking about Judah, uh, Judah and Israel in a global sense, not this very moment, 
Israel was already in captivity. But he's going to, this kind of review of their history almost. Doesn't he do that kind of often? Yes, he does. What are some other times of that? I remember 16 and 20. 16 and 20? Chapter 16 and chapter 20. So these, these three chapters are all kind of a they're, 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 Yeah, 23 is more similar to 16, yeah. but all three of them go through the history. So some people think this is just Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Yeah. So how often does God just use Tweedledum and Tweedledee? Well, not very. No, not literally. No, she knows that. She's not saying that. You were doing really well. Not quite. You were doing really well keeping his mouth shut. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, there's there's a meaning in the word, right. in yes. the name. And I, I do like how it sounds so similar. Like I think there's some significance in that, but not as much as. I love the 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 words Tweedledum and Tweedledee, so I had to get that in there. But uh, <laughs> you've gotten in several times. I just rarely get to use that. You've gotten the same times. So I'm happy. But no. You do a sermon on this and title it Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Thank you, my dears. But but I don't know. Hold on, hold on. I would probably be just as attention getting. But uh, but but I think what you're saying, Sarah, is true. I mean, it is very rare for names to be used in the Bible, just kind of like for a similar sound. It's much more common, especially when God names them, that there's some. Well, yeah, when it, you know Samaria is and Jerusalem is. I mean, that would make no sense then to name one when you just say. Well, it would make the sense in that their conduct <coughs> practically indistinguishable. And the fact that Samaria's already gone down the tubes, where's Judah going? Mm -hmm. But I still think that it's more likely that there's significance here. But that is still a debated issue. That's a dumb debate. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so cool when it means something. It is. Yeah, I like that. And the fact that we figured it out so fast. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it out. You had good training. You thought it'd take a long time to drag it out. That's right. <laughs> That's really cool. That's almost up there with the river. <laughs> Oh, no. Wow, Mom has like her favorite passage. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I like liver too. But... All right, anything else look to Look at the picture of them. Oh, my. All right, let's look at 5 to 10. Oholah played the harlot while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, after the Assyrians, her neighbors, who were clothed in purple, governors and officials, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her harlotries on them, all of whom were the choicest men of Assyria, and with all and with all whom she lusted after, with all their idols she defiled herself. She did not forsake her harlotries from the time in Egypt, for in her youth men had lain with her, and they handled her virgin bosom and poured out their lust on her. Therefore I gave her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians after whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, they took her sons and her daughters, but they slew her with the sword. Thus she became a byword among women, and they executed judgments on her. So, we're talking about Israel, and she had a marriage covenant with God, but what did she do? Lusted after the Assyrians. So what does that mean? I think 
she was envious of their idolatry and wanted idols of her own. That's part of it. And she also trusted in their strength instead of the Lord. That's part of it too. Remember how time and time again, Israel and Judah, we'll see in a moment, had turned to the four nations for strength and security instead of relying on their relationship with God. You know, there were times when politically, Israel thought that their only option was to climb in bed with the Assyrians, so to speak, to turn to the Assyrians. Jehu did, Joash did, Menahem did, and made covenants with the Assyrians. And and from God's standpoint, you know, he had told them, I've got this covenant with you, this marriage with you. You're not to make any covenants with other nations. From God's standpoint, this was like running around on him. You know, they're like betraying him to flirt with these other nations and make these alliances. Why would they have done that with Assyria? Their power and their neighbors and yeah, the horses are powerful. They were wealthy. They had high status. Assyria was the big bad empire. You know, you want to get you know chummy with Assyria. And uh, to God, this reminded him of what. Apparently when she was in Egypt. Yes, when she relied on the Egyptian power, maybe even the idolatry, because he's still connecting idolatry with this. There's kind of all rolled into together here. And so they were unfaithful to their relationship with God uh, in Egypt. Now they're, it's deja vu all over again. And what's going to happen to her? You better give them to her. Yeah. Lust turns to disgust. And the Assyrians are going to turn on them and uncover their nakedness now to expose them and to violate them and to destroy them. The very things that had attracted the Assyrians, you know, her body, so to speak, is now being turned against her. So it's very typical that... God uses the very nations that they had flirted with to destroy them later on. Uh, um, Now I want you to think about what this means for us. We see, okay, you know, they had a relationship with God but in crises, they turn to idols, and they turn to other nations, and they work faithful to their covenant with God, so God used these other nations to destroy them. What would the lesson be for us? How would, uh, you know, we've got a marriage covenant with God, don't we? With the Lord. So, what are we tempted to do? Rely on our own um, abilities. Rely on ourselves. On money. Or on money. And in case that falls through, we have insurance companies. We do. Or? Other people? Other people. Or? Jane Dixon's horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> 
Flippers. Flippers. Or? Our country, our government. Or? The United Nations. Our own wisdom. Our popularity. Anything but God. There's just a lot of things that we are tempted to put our trust in, in a crisis. You know, when we're supposed to be loyal to the Lord alone, and yet, I've got this situation. I turn not to God, but I turn to something else. Um, you know, I, I turn to education, or I turn to, to money, or I turn to somebody turn to, you know, my counselor who tells me I've been a little too, you know, strict with myself and all these things, or whatever. You know, and we begin to stray away from the Lord because we're so impressed with something that in a worldly sense looks so powerful and popular and, you know, gives you status and so forth. We've got to be really careful about, you know, things in this in this world that, that looks so impressive. They they turn away from the Lord. They turn to the Assyrians. How foolish. The Assyrians just turned and destroyed them. When we turn our back on the Lord to turn to anything else to give us security in a crisis. Or turning away from the from the most powerful being in the universe to turn into some created being or created thing. We need to see that as being disgusting unfaithfulness. Now, we probably need to meditate on that more in just in terms of our own life. You know, how many times are we just sort of um, flirting with things that ought not to get our allegiance? In place of really, you know, staying faithful to the Lord alone. Comments and questions. We don't even think it's going to be quite as bad as folks who describe this stuff. Exactly. And I don't think Israel did either, or Judah did either. You know what's wrong with, with you know, making a political alliance with the Assyrians? I mean, that's smart. You know? You Pay them off, you know. You, you know, you form a an agreement. You like to have good relations with the neighbors, and you know they're strong. They'll be able to protect you. It does. It did not seem stupid. I mean, Israel was not a very dominant power. You know, I mean, it seems like the most natural thing in the world. You know, get yourself a good, close, intimate relationship with the Assyrians. I mean, I, I've been thinking. Being good stewards, they may have thought that they were being good stewards of the, of what God gave them by doing that. I've seen people. I know someone who worries a lot about their money and their investments. And when you say, you know, you really shouldn't put so much of your thought into this because 
you know, you're taking away from your trust in God when you do that. And the response is, I'm just being a good steward of what God gave me. Wow. What's the fallacy in that? Stewards use things. Well, that's true, too. (laughs) Well, a good steward realizes that it's not theirs, for one thing, it's God's. But this person still thinks of it as my money. That's one major flaw. But here's another thing. What's the best way to be a good steward? To allow the Lord to take care of it. To turn to Him. Why would we think that we'll be a better steward if we try to protect this ourselves or we turn to others to secure it for us instead of submitting to the Lord and following His way? There's a lot more chance that we'll be a good steward of what He's given us if we really give Him first place in our lives than if we become obsessed with you know, conserving this by our own strength and power. You know, it's so much a lack of trust in God. And, and it's so much a cop-out sometimes when we say those That's things. What I feel like. <laughs> yeah, we'll do all kinds of things to make excuses for ourselves. I kind of wonder if uh, Israel, that was their, possibly their way of looking at it. And that's one way of whitewashing it. Absolutely. We justify, we rationalize in so many ways. And, uh, you know, I mean, you see people that are like, uh, you know, I want to, I want to get rich so I can serve God better. You know, I'll just be able to use it for, for the Lord and that'll be so great. Well, God may well, if I'm generous, increase my seed for sowing. But it ought not to be because I've single-mindedly pursued the wealth. That's just that's an excuse so often for people. I want to, I want to, or I want to be popular because if I get popular enough, then I can use that to, you know, to to you know turn people to the Lord. Well, in the whole whole course of being popular, we lose the Lord. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day who was telling me he's a good guy, he's Christian and, and decent fellow, but he said, you know, I, I have I've thought that. How did he put it? That that you know, to be able to influence people, I sort of had to become like them, and to become you know close to them, and kind of share things with them, so that then I can influence them to do what's right. I said, well, what you end up doing is you compromise who you are in trying to do that, and you lose that. I mean, the only thing you're worth is to be different and godly. We have plenty of people around that are beyond godly with them, you know. But we, we, we have all these rationalizations where we'll compromise to a certain point to be able to achieve a good goal. That's always misguided. It's never right to do wrong. I don't care what the goal is. Trust the Lord's means of getting to that goal. But we, we rely on our own wisdom, and we're like, well, I could get to where the Lord wants you to be quicker this way. In his way. What about Jeroboam said not the golden calves of down in Bethel? His goal was to be able to secure his kingdom. But God had already told him, if you'll be faithful to me, I'll do that. He relies on his own wisdom instead of trusting the Lord for that. The whole issue of faith and trust is such a key issue. We see it everywhere. And it's subtle. 
We don't look at, we don't analyze things properly. We don't see them correctly. Sin blinds us. Other comments and questions and thoughts? Alright, well, why don't we stop here then? Well, you can read, and we'll talk about this. I'm surprised at that. Oh, I'm not. It's Jesus. I know. That in itself probably makes it because they because the tent was in her. And because they had a whole as example already, and they didn't follow it, and because they didn't just flirt with the Assyrians, they flirted with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and there's even some other things we're going to see here. It's amazing that he kept the line through Judah. Well, they just, they gotten so bad, Mm -hmm. finally. But, uh, I think, actually, our next time will be three weeks from today. Because next week you all got your meeting. At Avon. And then the following week is Labor Day. So I think we're talking about the 11th of That's September. Oh, we'll be there later, Dana. Yeah. yeah, we're going to at least finish Revelation. So we'll study there and study here. Yeah, but probably not Ezekiel. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll do uh, finish Revelation, maybe do some Psalms or whatever. Well, that would be good. That's great. Well, we're going to Gary's Are you coming on Sunday? I don't know. You sure? Well, we can't till after. Yeah, I know. We come down Sunday afternoon. Oh, we haven't even gotten that far. Definitely. I want to stay on Sunday morning. They might. Because I want to go to class and get up there. Well, Dad's got to Okay. What'd you say? Mom, I'll have a singing Oh, you'll have a singing On Sunday night. I think with the young people. Oh, that might do it. Wait, Wilbur, that's not. Yeah, that might be it. Okay, now, when are you going to be gone? Yeah, come on down. Labor Day weekend. So yeah, come with us. We have plans that Saturday, and then Chris will have to stay and teach class Sunday morning. But I'll invite you over there. If we go down <laughs> Sunday afternoon and have a singing that night, and then we're going to finish Revelation on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then the Denise are going to get together. Oh, is Sarah invited, James? Yes. I made it. I made it.